for me as a person who had always been in that Boulder office those three days a week was how challenging it was for people who were, were remote. If you were the one or two people that may have been in Austin when we were having a meeting in Colorado or vice versa, it's challenging to be that one person on the phone or the one person on Zoom when everyone else is sitting around a table. So the thing uh, that we've gotten even better at over the last year is recognizing that that's really important. When we are back together, we're gonna need to take some extra steps to make sure that the people who are spread out now around the country uh, are included in the meetings and that it's not dominated by the, the people who are sitting around the table. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools, helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Good afternoon. Hey, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast again, where I just, I enjoy getting to share stories and, and listen to stories here. I was I was talking with our guest here today just a minute ago. This is just a, a fun opportunity for me always just to hear a new perspective because as many episodes as we've been through, I always find something new out of everyone. So hopefully that's the case for you as well. Uh, today with me, I've got Brad Weber with Inspiring Apps out of, uh, based out of Boulder, Colorado. But as we were saying with, with the, the pandemic last year, this has kind of spread our opportunities and our resources a little bit wider. So first off, welcome, Brad, and thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to join us here. Well, thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and about Inspiring Apps. What's, what's going on these days in business? Sure. I'll give you a little bit of history. So I've been a software developer for 25 years at this point. I started my career at, at the time we called them the big six consulting companies, but I don't know if anybody refers to them that way anymore. Uh, was an independent software developer for about a dozen of those years and worked primarily on small projects independently, but had a desire to grow a team and grow a business. And so uh, we're now uh, inspiring apps in our 14th year of about 20 employees, as you noted, we're really concentrated in the Boulder, Denver area in Colorado, as well as Austin, Texas. And yeah. uh, we have a passion for using our talents to help our clients realize their dreams. And uh, our talents are designing and building really exceptional web and mobile applications. And their dreams are typically bringing a new product to market. Yeah, Austin's a, you mentioned Austin. I know Austin's a, a big tech med for, for Texas here, so. Yes. Know where you're building there for sure. So tell me, I'm going to say this is again, kind of, you're almost paralleling my story that I started out early days in, in programming software as well. How did that transition from being a software developer focused on technology, focused on code that way into business owner, business leader, CEO, et cetera? How, how did that transition happen? Yeah, good question. So software development has always been my passion, but uh, by, by training or by education, it's really been business. So I have a bachelor's degree from USC in business and an MBA from the University of Colorado in Boulder. So I've really always enjoyed the blend of those two things. And where I found that combination of skills to be most effective is in my own business. 
Yeah, it's it's rare again being in the from the technology realm. It's it's kind of rare being able to find those tech people that can still talk business that can talk to the customer from a business standpoint because the stereotypical is hiding down in the dark room and with the all the lights <laughs> off and the stereo monitors and it's like we we don't deal with customers. We don't talk to people. Kind of a thing. We we deal in code. So, yeah, that was kind of always where I found my success as well as being able to talk to customers, actually pull out real requirements and figure out, okay, what do you really need? Not just bits and bytes. Right. So um, tell me a little bit more about what, what is inspiring apps in terms of how did you come up with the business? how did you define it? What's, what's kind of, what's the uniqueness about inspiring apps that honestly, these days, it seems like everybody in the world's got an app. So what's, what's, what's unique or what was like, Hey, we can do this better or differently for you. Sure. Well, the, the business itself just evolved naturally from what I was doing on my own. Uh, at the time, I did pair up with, at the time of founding, I paired up with a, a technical co-founder, um, more technical than I even. And um, we, you know, we couldn't even foresee what we're doing now, uh, which is building mobile apps, because uh, it was 2007 and the iPhone was uh, just being introduced. So um, it, it was... It was a bit fortuitous, uh, a bit fortunate, uh, good timing, I guess. But prior to, to founding Inspiring Apps, I was doing desktop and mobile applications. And really within a year, it was almost entirely mobile uh, with some web. And that, that's balanced out now over, over the last decade. Uh, people care about web applications again or still. But boy, there was a period there where uh, like you said, everybody has a mobile app. And so uh, we are in a good position to help companies bring those to market much in the way that they did in the 90s where everybody needed a website. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because it's uh, that, that's really one of the fun things, fun and challenges both with technology is that it's it's constantly shifting and constantly changing like that. And we see that even from a business standpoint, and, and you're already talking about it, is okay, how you went from web to then to mobile and then now back to, to somewhat web. What's the, when you're running at this from a business owner perspective, what are you looking at on the horizon out there to say, hey, there's a shift, there's a, there's a change, a pivot coming that we need to, to be able to adjust for? Well, there's, as, as you're familiar with from the industry, there's so many changes in new technologies that it's impossible of a, a company really of any size to keep up with that. And certainly one of, of our size is, is not going to, to do that. So uh, we have to pick our limited number of horses and, and stick with those. And really the, you know, we see more integrated apps with hardware. Uh, that's certainly been a craze. You may have heard the, the term internet of things, uh, which has been popular over the last few years. Uh, we've been doing more work with that. So building apps that support some sort of smart product and appliance in your home uh, might be lighting, uh, we've worked with wheelchair companies uh, to integrate with their hardware. Uh, it's been quite a wide variety uh, there. But for us, the I wouldn't necessarily call them late adopters, but the, the, the people early into uh, the mobile app space were, for us, a lot of, large, a lot of small businesses, rather. Uh, so perhaps some of the people listening to this podcast who wanted to create an app and build a business around it. And uh, they were quick to jump in. And so we had a lot of experience early on working with smaller customers, but that's shifted for us over, over the past probably three to five years. 
uh, there's been much more activity with large enterprises who have the same dream. They want to bring a product to market to benefit their organization, but they've had all the benefit of a market leadership position and more time to think about what it is that's really going to be effective uh, for them. And now uh, we're, we're working with a lot of those large enterprises, particularly in financial services, to help them uh, compete in that space. Uh, take what's already making them strong, uh, whether it be data or, or something else in their offering and bringing that to a mobile platform or a web platform in a way that they haven't been able to do before. Yeah, that's one thing I always liked about technology was it in a lot of ways, especially with the, I'd say, lower cost of entry kind of a thing here, like from an app perspective. Yeah, you can have, I think I saw Toyota listed out of your website, several big ones kind of listed. But at the same time, a small company, like you said, can put together their own app as well and somewhat level the playing field at that point to say, hey, yeah, we can actually get out and compete with some of the big guys. We not, not, not quite have their their name recognition or their brand marketing, but still, it's you can leverage technology in a lot of the same ways right that way. That's true. And actually you, you hit the nail on the head for, I think the challenge for our smaller customers is that the, the ones that are successful recognize that you can't just build an app and expect the market to care about it. <laughs> that you still have to put traditional marketing efforts behind the, the product that you're bringing uh, to market. And so in much the same way that you hear a, a theme at graduation ceremonies saying, you know, you didn't just finish high school, you're really starting college, or you, you know, you didn't just finish college, you're starting your career. Same thing with our, our process, you didn't finish your mobile app, and now you're done, you're really just starting the marketing effort. And in my experience, that's the long haul, building the app is the easy part. Yeah, there's definitely truth to that. It's, it's a never ending cycle. I still remember and date myself here, it was the, hey, build your website and throw it up there on Google or whatever, everybody's going to show up there. And it's like, yeah, no, it, it doesn't. It may have worked that way a little bit early on, but not anymore, for sure. That there's just, it's, I was actually just sitting there flipping through my phone yesterday, just cleaning up stuff because I had so many apps and so much stuff on it. It was like, I, I think I was up to eight or nine pages where the apps is like, okay, I don't even know what some of these are anymore. Why did I download this stuff? And you got to differentiate out of that market. How are you going to get out of that market there? So that's mm -hmm. differentiation is always, always a challenge I find, especially at the, the smaller ends, because you just don't have the marketing budget. You don't have the, the resources. So you got to be smart about where you, where you spend it. That's right. So tell us more a little bit about the, the company in terms of, um, how did you go or what, what's, what's the, the look been from, I guess you said over 14 years now from yourself and a single partner kind of thing, founding it up to 20 plus year, 20 plus employees now, what's that transition kind of look like, or what's been your, what was that just a, a strategic, Hey, this is, we know exactly the path we're going to go down or is this, how has that worked over the years? <laughs> yeah. I, I laugh because uh, yeah, for, for all the strategy, especially in the early days, uh, you know, it out the window pretty quickly once once you hit the reality of of trying to succeed. So, uh, a couple of key points in in the the history is that I mentioned I did start with a co-founder, but uh, turned out that we weren't as compatible as we thought we were. So after a few years, we had parted ways. Um, another thing that's relevant is that there was such a frenzy around mobile apps, like I mentioned when, when the iPhone came out, that there was so much demand, we were literally scrambling to try to keep up. And we could not, we couldn't hire fast enough. And frankly, this was the first time I'd ever had 
employees or thought about having employees. And that felt extremely risky to me. Uh, I remember uh, a professor in my MBA program uh, really simplifying this to say all of the risk in business is in fixed cost. And so I considered employees to be fixed costs. So I thought the, the way that we alleviate that is to have an all contractor team. And so it allowed us to scale up quickly, but there was no team. We had yep. you know, a lot of individuals who uh, contributed certainly, but were, were also equally as interested in their own success as they were uh, the companies and, and they, were, they were quick to move on to other things when they were, they were greener pastures. So you know, we, my co-founder and I thought that maybe we'd, we'd grow to five people over, over 10 years, <laughs> but instead we grew to 30, including contractors within probably three years and uh, never lost so much money in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know that you're, you're a big proponent in process and making sure that, you know, that the business is in good shape. Uh, you've got a solid foundation before you grow. We didn't do that. We grew first and, and did not have that foundation and then uh, paid the price. So uh, after, after our parting, uh, spent a, probably about a year adjusting and we went from, from an all contractor team to uh, gradually an all employee team. So now uh, we don't have any contractors and all 20 plus of our, our team are employees. And I've really seen the benefit of that uh, for our cohesion the uh, longevity on our team. We have 40% of our team has been together for five years or more. And uh, there's a good three to four of us have been together for 10 years or more at this point. And I find that rare in our space and it really benefits our clients to have that much depth and breadth of experience on the Inspiring Apps team when we're, when we're working with them. But that transition from contractor to employee was uh, was one that came out of necessity, a, a result of a painful lesson that I learned myself. Yeah, it's it's because I've seen a lot of sides. I've, I've just seen companies vacillate back and forth between the two, kind of a thing, depending on the way the winds blows. But yeah, it, definitely the contractor side, it, it's it's useful, like you said, to quickly scale up and quickly build resources. But like you said, there's just no there's no culture. There's there's no cohesion there. That hey, somebody comes along tomorrow and asks offers a, a dollar more or two dollars more, kind of a thing. They're, they're, they're there for the paycheck. And that's when you look at employee, even employees, when you look at people that are only there for the paycheck, that's, that's pretty transient. You can, you can lose them pretty quick to right. said just a little bit better offer there. So, so I'm curious what that shift from a, a cultural standpoint of, of building more an employee basis. And obviously sounds like a, a fairly solid one there to, to keep people around for five plus years, six plus years. What, what's, what's that look like, or what have you done done differently or seen differently from a, a culture standpoint for having them being employees instead? Yeah, we, uh, we put a lot of energy and, and effort into supporting our team, uh, their personal and professional growth, uh, a lot of respect for individuality uh, and inclusiveness on the Inspiring Apps team. Uh, we're very supportive of, of one another. Uh, I want people to continue to learn, you know, for their own their own benefit. And I want us to be able to celebrate the successes of, of other individuals on our teams uh, or on our team. Uh, when we were in person, we had a, a great tradition. This, this lasted for, for a decade. Every Wednesday was team lunch day, inspiring apps. And the company was small enough that we'd still get together in the conference room 
And it was not a time to talk about projects or what's going on at work. It was a time to talk about what movies have you seen or what podcasts are you listening to or what hike have you been on recently? And, and it was fun. It allowed the, the team to connect on, on a personal level. We still do that remotely now. It's not quite the same over, <laughs> over Zoom or Hangouts, but uh, we still have that on the calendar on, on Wednesdays and have you know, added remote happy hours and things like that to make sure that people can still connect and, and feel uh, supported on a personal level as, as well as at work. No, that's, that's, that's cool that you got, because I was wondering, it's like, okay, now with the transition to, to remote and multiple offices, how that was continuing. But yeah, having that, that personal connection there to, we see so many times that everybody will focus meetings or whatever around, okay, this is deadlines or technology. You've got your, your standups or whatnot kind of stuff going on. It's, it's all about projects. It's like, okay, do you really know who's sitting next to you, working next to you kind of a thing? And that does build a lot more of a a fun atmosphere that people actually enjoy working together rather than just, just working on the project. I think so too. So what has that meant? Obviously we're hopefully seeing the, the waning sides of this, this pandemic and all the lockdowns kind of a thing, but even still you, you'd said, okay, you've expanded into Austin and several other areas and remote beyond that. What does that transition kind of meant for you as a company spreading out that you're not just centrally located, same office, same, same space right there in, in Boulder. Yeah. There, uh, talk about that in a couple of ways. So the company started without an office. So up to about the first four or five people, we were we were 100% remote. We we're all working out of our homes. And uh, that was pretty radical 14 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so we grew to a point where I thought that it would, it would benefit us to have an office and to have a presence. The, the first one was in downtown Boulder. And it's a vibrant area and a great place for clients to come meet. And so people were excited about the office and it was a beautiful space and, and a fun fun place to be in the heart of uh, downtown Boulder. But the reality was we went from, from five days a week of working out of our houses to now something where, where people were gonna have to commute. And so yeah. from, from the first week, we, had a, we put a policy in place where we were still remote two days a week. Uh, so for, for the last 10 plus years, we were really training for our COVID uh, experience and uh, had, what does that work out to be? 40% of our work week, uh, we were already working at home and using you know, distant technologies to stay connected and have meetings when we needed to and so forth. So it made that transition fairly easy for us um, when, when all this happened last March. The thing that was eye-opening for me as a person who had always been in that Boulder office those three days a week was how challenging it was for people who were, were remote. If you were the one or two people that may have been in Austin when we were having a meeting in Colorado or vice versa, it's challenging to be that one person on the phone or the one person on Zoom when everyone else is sitting around a table. So the thing uh, that we've gotten even better at over the last year is recognizing that that's really important. When we are back together, we're going to need to take some extra steps to make sure that the people who are spread out now around the country uh, are included in the meetings and that it's not dominated by the, the people who are sitting around the table. So that's something that we're going to take, take forward. You know, presumably this, this summer or this fall, sometime we'll, we'll be back in conference rooms together again. And, and when we do, we need to be cognizant of that. 
Yeah, I've seen that one in even in just like business networking groups or whatever we're part of them or in different locations kind of a thing. And even my experience with working with clients, like it's very difficult because you're used to being in the conference room and talking to each other. And OK, now we've got these two or three people on the phone or are on, on Zoom right now. And it's you've got to make a, a conscious effort to say, OK, keep them in. And, and luckily, I've seen a number of technology solutions staying in the tech field that, that help make that better with the Zoom rooms and stuff like that. But still, yeah, it's, it's a it's a challenge to sit there and try to blend all those together. Yeah. Things like digital whiteboards, for instance, uh, really help. So when when everyone else is in the conference room scribbling on a real whiteboard and you know, you're just turning the camera, it's almost impossible to see uh, on your laptop remotely. So technology like that is, is really helpful to, to keep people included. Yeah, yeah. So what's been um, your experience in terms of having, because I would say, I think we were talking beforehand, you've gone beyond just Austin. So we're talking individual contributors around the country now. What's What's been challenges there with having just a, a remote workforce now in terms of even still not just the the day-to-day meetings but managing a team or anything like that remote what's what's been how has that worked or how is that what have you seen differently for a local team versus a remote team just from a management perspective yeah I think the the, the thing that's most new for us is the fact that we've got so many states where where we have a presence now and really the legality around that is, is not something that I've was expert in, I'm still not an expert in, uh, but in (laughs) much the same way that it was easy to add a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth employee after I took the leap and added the first one, it's now been easier to add the the second, third, fourth, fifth state uh, to support the employees that we're hiring. So it does, it would simplify things for, for our small company if we could hire in Kind of concentrated areas, so states where we already have a presence. But I, I'm gonna lot, not going to let that deter me from from bringing in the right person, uh, even if it means that we're we're adding more states to to our roster, and we'll we'll figure out how to get past that. The more important part is is the other part of your question, which is how do we manage this distributed team? And we now do have people in in all four time zones in in the U.S. And it hasn't been an issue for us. So it's, we're not a company that requires you to, to start exactly at 8 a.m. And, and finish at five. So there's some flexibility around people's schedules. We have some core hours in the middle of the day that are shared by all the time zones that we expect people to be available for meetings. But otherwise there's some flexibility for you to start late on the East Coast or start early on the West Coast or, wherever, you know, we are a small company that is motivated to accommodate the, the needs of our employees as opposed to uh, forcing them to, to fit into a rigid system. Yeah, and that's, I, I wasn't even thinking, but I've, I've run into the, tech, uh, the time zone issue before. That can be, because you're doing three hours difference there, that, that can make meetings, et cetera, a challenge for sure. Yep. Yeah, that's, that one's a fun one for sure. So, um, looking at kind of looking forward with the business, what, what's your, what's the longer term strategy or what's, what's the, the growth goals here with the, the company that we're talking about now that you've kind of broken through some of those barriers with the, the remote workforce and getting, like I said, behind, hopefully behind this, this pandemic's behind us kind of a thing. What's, what's the future look like? Well, we do intend to grow. So uh, I appreciate your question. And I'm also going to give you credit for 
uh, providing the framework for that growth. Okay. <laughs> it was my experience. Uh, I, I had planned growth for this year anyway, but uh, not yet found uh, the right framework for us. And uh, really through uh, your work, introducing me to, uh, to your podcast and the EOS process that uh, I've picked up traction and my leadership team is going through that. And so we, uh, we are planning for, you know, this year, three years out, five years out, what that growth is going to look like. But short term for us, as I mentioned, we're a little over 20 employees. Uh, we had two starting today, which is exciting. And uh, hoping to grow to, I should say, planning to grow, not just hoping, <laughs> yep. uh, to probably 25 to 30 employees is what it'll take to sustain the growth that uh, or support the growth that we want over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And that's, that's really, to me, the biggest key is, okay, this is, this is a plan. This is not building a business on hope. And yeah, what we wish was going to happen tomorrow is, is you, you probably figured it out by now. That's, that's, that's risky at the least bit kind of thing there. Cause it's, especially like I said, in technology winds blow back and forth. It's like, okay, if we're trying to adapt to whatever's going to be today, then it turns into the the tail wagging the dog kind of a thing that there's just no plan. There's no strategy going forward with company. There's, and it, it really detriment, detrimental to the, the long-term success there. So yeah, EOS is one of the systems I work with and it's, it's a great system for building that, that initial framework, building that strategy, that longer term vision right there. Cause if you can have that vision and say, Hey, yes, this is what we're working towards. It really goes back and strengthens that culture that much more because now you're, Yes, you've got what you were talking about, about people knowing each other, but now you've got people working towards a common vision rather than everybody right. out picking their own projects, picking, hey, this is the most fun thing right now. Or this is what I enjoy doing most rather than saying, OK, what's going to contribute towards the company's direction the most right now? Right. So, yeah, so, I'll be curious to hear what you what you learn or what you what you come away with from traction there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, look me up for the where are they now episode uh, two years from now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, looking at that, then kind of uh, what's your perspective, I guess, from a, a business perspective, really looking forward, kind of what we were talking about there. But in terms of um, I guess I'm trying to figure out how, how to ask this or what the from a, a structural standpoint, are you still kind of bought into what you've got right now in terms of the, the remote workforce and being able to continue to build that out? Or are you looking at potentially bringing that back in? What's your, what's, what's the vision right there from just a, a team building kind of perspective? Are you looking to make any changes? Or are you thinking this is kind of going to be the, the new way of the future really for, for everybody? It's obviously been this way for tech for a while, but from, from a, across the perspective, because I, I see a lot of businesses that are kind of figuring out, Hey, remote work is kind of working. And, but I'm, I'm still curious to see what the the six month or the year down the road is going to look like. Are people going to start pulling back? Or are they going to keep keep embracing this? Right. We, I, I don't think we'll ever be, but we're not, I'm not going to force employees to be hundred percent remote um, ever, nor will I ever want to force people to be hundred percent in an office. I really think a blend is, is right. And there may be some employees uh, who either enjoy being remote and we need to continue to accommodate that, or it's really not practical. They might be one person in a city or, you know, in a location. It doesn't matter whether they're in their house or, or they're in an office. So it doesn't make sense to, to add office space uh, to, to our list for that. But in cities where we have concentration, we've found 
Uh, so during the pandemic, we, we let our lease go for the office that we had exclusive control over and have moved into a co-working kind of model. And we picked a, a co-working space or a co-working company that has locations in many of the places where we have employees. And so I like that for the flexibility and in markets like Austin and Boulder, where they have greater concentrations, then we'll get reserved office space in those places, both for our employees and for clients to come meet with us um, in those space. There is real value still to, to being able to be face-to-face -face in front of a whiteboard uh, with both co coworkers and, um, and clients, but I've, we don't need those all over the country. And uh, we don't need one big office in one particular location. I really think uh, this model of having smaller meeting places in lots of cities around the country is a good fit for us now. No, it, it makes sense. So I'm, I'm curious whether you've run into, because I've, like I said, I, I've been working remote with, with different teams, different companies for probably 15 plus years now. And there's definite differences in personalities that some people really crave and really need the the over the cube wall or the next door office kind of thing to, to talk to people and socialize. Whereas the stereotypical tech on the other end, we're just hide me in my, my dark room kind of a thing here. And I'm perfectly fine. Have you run into any kind of challenges really blending those two together or. I don't think we have any of the, the dark room kind of mushroom <laughs> developers that <laughs> inspiring apps. Uh, it's one of the things that is important to me, important to our team when we're hiring is that, you don't you don't have to be overly gregarious uh, about or gregarious rather um, in your interaction with others, but you need to be comfortable uh, interacting with other humans. Uh, can't can't all be code. So e even on that scale, though, there are different uh, different grades of desire to to be interactive, and the same person may want more of that uh, sometime than others. So you know, when I was coding. Uh, and really concentrating on things, there'd be hours where I wouldn't want to be uh, disturbed because I, I had to focus. But as soon as that's done, I, I can't wait to talk to somebody else about the weekend or uh, you know whatever it is that they're working on. So comes in comes in phases, and I think the model that we have set up now will will accommodate uh, people's needs. So if they just want to come in the office one day a week, two days a week, uh, that should be fine. Yeah, now that's kind of what my guess is going to be is to see more blended kind of spaces like that, the co-working space or the shared space like that, where it, it doesn't have to be everybody, but there is space that some people can come in or some people can get together. It'll just be, again, maximizing the other challenges we were talking about, about some people in the office and not for doing meetings yeah. and such like that. So it'll always bring its own challenges for sure. Yep. So I always like kind of wrapping up towards the end here and just kind of look back here over the last uh, 14 years or something and say, hey, if there was one or two kind of lessons learned to say, hey, if there was something I had just tried earlier, done earlier, figured out earlier, et cetera, life might have been a whole lot easier. Does anything come to mind for you right off? You know, I I really enjoyed, I wouldn't make any changes because the, the risk is I, I would end up in a worse spot than I am yep. today. So I'll take all the bruises for, you know, ultimately what I consider to be a success at, at this point. But I think I, I had the benefit of really a great team that I work with and a good reputation in the market that brought us enough referral work that we've been happy and busy for all these years 
um, and really enjoyed what we're working on and have been fortunate to work on some some really large projects for big companies that you know a, a company of our size doesn't doesn't seem like uh, they might be uh, capable of. But I feel like having I, I kind of got lulled into uh, this uh, false sense of security with that steady flow of work that there wasn't enough process in place. There wasn't enough structure in place. And frankly, uh, to be where we are 14 years in to just now be looking at something like EOS is a little embarrassing. Uh, and I wish that uh, if I were to make a change, it, I would have looked to, to start working on this probably not right at the beginning, but you know, at least five years ago, we probably could have benefited from more structure. I've been thrilled. We've only been doing it for like a month and a half and I'm already seeing changes. So kicking myself a little bit for not starting that sooner. Oh, it, it, and, and honestly, as I say, you're, you're not unique or, or alone. You're not sorry. You're not unique in that standpoint, but <laughs> no, that's, and that's really what I look at with a lot of companies is honestly, they succeed in spite of themselves that, that willpower and enough effort, enough hours, et cetera, can propel you quite a ways. But at the same time, it's one of those, um, I was actually reviewing a, an earlier podcast earlier today where the, the lady was saying, yeah, it's if her background was where she grew up working on a farm kind of a thing and everything was tied into how many hours you, you work harder on the farm, you get further along. And it's like, but from an entrepreneurial standpoint, if you're still following that mindset, you're pretty much doing it wrong that, okay, we should be working less, more efficiently to get more at that point kind of a thing. And technology does help us in that way. But yeah, that's, that's really where a lot of people kind of start looking at, hey, there are systems, there are coaches, there are experts out there and different ways. Because honestly, I, I actually meant to ask you earlier and didn't, we didn't really get into it, but your, your phrasing of having an MBA background, it's like so many people I talk to with an MBA or with the business background, it's like, it was very theoretical. Whereas now that I'm actually doing it myself, now that I'm in business, okay, well, <laughs> this doesn't necessarily apply anymore. Or how do I solve this one case? Right. And having those systems and the processes and things like that can make a make a huge difference for sure. Right. And that's really what makes me so optimistic about our future is that, that we have been successful for so long, like you said, in spite of ourselves, that now with some framework around that, I, I just can't wait to see uh, what our team can do to grow to the next level. Yeah, especially, like I said, we were early on, 14 plus years in, in any business these days, but especially small entrepreneurial kind of businesses, that's a lifetime right there. So it sounds like you guys are doing doing great. And like I said, I I'll, will be interested to see what it looks like here in another, another year or two. Thank you. So kind of wrap back up um, real quick here. If people are interested more in mobile apps or interested in, in uh, inspiring apps, where's the, the best way for them to go find some more information or talk to you and figure out some more? Yeah, check out our website at inspiringapps.com. There's, there's a very short form you can fill out to uh, get in touch with us. And uh, that doesn't go through a lot of bureaucracy, but that ends up to me. So I'm happy to talk to anybody uh, about their plans, uh, big companies, large, uh, small companies. Uh, so fill out the form. We'll set up a, a time to talk and happy to hear, hear what you're thinking about for mobile or web apps for your business. Yeah, I've, I've, I've checked out the website and got a, a nice clientele list there. It looks real nice. So looking thank forward you. to hearing more with it. And want to say thank you again for, for taking a few minutes out of your time then. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guests a favor and share it on your social media accounts? 
Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.